Hello, and welcome to Fatal Error, episode 28. I'm Sarush Kanlu. And I'm Chris Dezombach. So today we wanted to talk about strings and strings in Swift specifically. There's a document in the uh, Apple Swift repo called the String Manifesto, um, more with a more detailed title of String Processing for Swift 4. And this is kind of, it's not a proposal, but it's like a broad strokes outline of how they want to handle strings going into the future. So we both read it, um, and we want to talk about it a little bit with each other. How does that sound, Chris? That sounds great. Yeah, I feel like we can definitely talk for 30 minutes about the stuff that's in this document. That is the tagline of this show. We can definitely (laughs) talk for 30 minutes about this. (laughs) We should actually put that on the website. Yeah, I think that'd be really good. So, so Chris, I know you care a lot about strings. I know you've given a short talk at your work about strings and how we should uh, use different strings for different things. Can you want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, sure. So, right. I gave this uh, short talk about a 20-minute talk at work a little while ago, a little while, probably at least a year ago at this point, with the thesis sort of that a string is a very like general purpose type. Uh, it's general purpose in the same way that, say, integer is a general purpose type. We use it to represent all kinds of things, from like email addresses to SQL statements to uh, user-facing localized text, right? And the same way that you might use an integer to re- reflect everything from like speed to acceleration to uh, the width of an image. Um, right. So in some way, there's sort of... Uh, there, there should be sort of units attached to these, right? And if we have an integer, we often know whether it represents like the width of an image or velocity of something. And we often know that with strings too, but with both of these, actually, you can end up making some stupid programming mistakes that the type system could save you from. For example, you may write something accidentally that injects uh, unescaped uh, user input into a SQL statement. Or you may accidentally output some debug description of some object out into the UI somehow. And my whole thesis was just that maybe we should have different different string types to represent these different concepts. And I mean, maybe we should have different uh, integer types to represent different concepts too, right? Basically, we should have yeah, some notion of almost like units to uh, to these very general purpose data types in the same way that if you're doing like a physics or chemistry calculation by hand, you write uh, units next to every number and watch the units like cancel each other out and be converted into other units, right? Yeah, what was the name of that? It was like... Uh, uh, dimensional analysis? Dimensional That's analysis. One. That's what it was. That's good right. stuff. And so uh, you imagine you're doing a calculation, you know, you, you're, uh, you know, say like, I don't know, some sort of chemistry equation, right? You are making sure that all your units check out through that whole calculation. Right. If you're just doing something with like integers in programming or, you know, taking a string of input and putting it somewhere else, there's no verification. Like the type checker can't help you verify that you're doing things correctly because everything is just blobs of data, Right. So, for example, if you had a uh, piece of user-facing text, you might have a function attached to it to localize it for this for the current user. Whereas, if you had a path, you might have a function attached to it to uh, append some 
uh, extra component onto the end of the path. Whereas if you had a SQL statement, you would have some method of binding variables to things and handling um, injection attacks. And so each of these things requires a slightly different domain. And so you would want different types to handle that stuff. And you would never want to be able to mix them the way you can with strings Right, today. exactly. It makes no sense to, say, append a path component to a SQL statement. And yet if everything's just a string, you can totally do that. And the compiler's like, all right. Yeah, I, I don't know any better. Yeah. I'll just do it. That's something that would obviously take support, uh, both with some niceties at the language level and in the frameworks that we're dealing with, right? Dealing with UIKit or like with Cocoa Touch, uh, retrofitting it to actually do that would be a huge project. But if you're creating like a new framework for uh, for pro- for some programming domain, really think about this, please. Yeah, for sure. So um, what you're talking about is more broadly known as primitive obsession, where people use strings and dictionaries and integers, where they could be using more Mm -hmm. rich types. Um, I'm going to drop two links into the show notes that are interesting reads on that topic, one in Ruby and one in Swift. Um, Both of those are really cool. And so this kind of brings us back to the string manifesto, because in the string manifesto, they talk about uh, what they call the quote-unquote default behavior of string. And I'll I'll actually just read this. Uh, Although this isn't well known, the most accessible form of many operations uh, on Swift strings are really only appropriate for text that is intended to be processed for and consumed by machines. So that means not user-facing text, things that are more like uh, SQL statements and more like paths that you can, you know, manipulate in different ways. And so they say, like, all the things that they talk about are sort of more... Uh, more directed at machine processing rather than any of these other behaviors that we might use strings for. So I think that like kind of sets the tone for the string manifesto. Like it's all about how to make strings work with like, like between like strings between computers, right? Not strings between humans. Well, I think, I mean, I think that's mostly what they're saying. This was something that really struck me while I was reading this document. What I read this as is them saying, not that strings shouldn't support all the like, like proper um, uh, localization and other concerns that come with handling Unicode strings that are human-readable and human-accessible, but that those don't necessarily have to be the default behaviors, right? Right, and that right, lets right, them right. make that's a better way right, to put and it. that lets them make a number of simplifying and performance enhancing assumptions in the sort of default case for uh, the simplest parts of the string API for really a lot of parts of the string API, right? Right. So the idea is by default, we will just not worry about localization, not worry about language or any of that stuff, any of the user facing stuff and only worry about machine processing. And then you can kind of add that stuff on. Right. So as one example, like the Unicode specification, and they mentioned this in the uh, collation semantics section of the document here, um, the Unicode defines an algorithm for uh, like for collating or for sorting equality hashing uh, these uh, like Unicode strings, right? And this is a fairly computationally intensive and um, I guess slightly memory intensive process, but it's not something that, that uh, you want to do all the time. But again, but so we can take this assumption that, that we're making that strings are mainly for a machine, like for the machine, not for the human. And that this lets them make some simplifying assumptions and cut out a lot of these steps in the default case for a lot of string APIs. Right. And so I actually didn't fully understand what is collation. They they talk about the Unicode collation algorithm. 
And it does not really clear to me what it is, and the description of how it works is also. I mean, so I think collation is. uh, Let's let's look it up exactly here. But my intuition is that that's basically like you take things that are out of order and put them in some sort of order. Mm, Interesting. It says what Unicode says about collation, which is used in the less than operator, the equal to operator, and hashing. So it seems like it's like those three operations. You have to do these sort of normalization steps that they're calling collation before you can do these other operations less than, equal to, or hash. That's not right? Yeah. Well, so, I mean, the, this is the process for, like, for collation, which the dictionary here says is collect and combine texts, information, or sets of figures in proper order. So this tells us how to take two random Unicode strings and, and put them in what Unicode considers proper order in a, uh, what's, I'm blanking on the word, uh, what's the word that... Like a standardized way? Right, in a, like, standardized, predictable, definitive way. De- deterministic, maybe, is Deterministic, the word yeah, that's the word. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. And you have to do this stuff. Right. Uh, otherwise, you, like, you won't be able to compare the E with the acute sign above it with the string that has the E and the acute sign separate. Right. Where they, like, are only brought together when it's being drawn. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, assuming that these still may be Unicode strings, but that they're not necessarily, like, if you're just trying to sort to Unicode strings, uh, and you don't tell it that it, you, this needs to be, like, a localized uh, sort, then, like, a couple of these steps can be skipped, and you'll get a consistent and uh, a consistent behavior, basically, which is good enough for the machine. That makes sense. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting because this is one of the reasons that the string API is uh is so relatively um complex in Swift 3, right? Is that they were concerned about performance with some of these things. So I think that uh with one of the things we're doing with this manifesto is coming around to understanding that there are simplifying assumptions we can make in a lot of cases. Uh, because a lot of string processing is not something that's that, that's done for the users and something that's going to show up in the UI. Right, right. It seemed like before they wanted to get the correctness nailed down before worrying about the ergonomics of the APIs, where the ergonomics are sort of how easy they are to use. And now that they kind of feel comfortable with the ergonomics or with the uh, correctness, they feel like they've maybe gone too far in that direction. They want to kind of dial it back and make it easy to use without losing that correctness? Yeah, I think that's right. Or they've realized that, like, maybe they haven't gone too far, but, uh, well, yeah, I guess in some cases they have, and that we can tweak this balance to benefit more uh, ergonomics and performance while maintaining correctness in um, right, right. in all use cases, right? That checks out. So the biggest change to me seems to be that you know, string.characters is gone and string itself is now a collection yeah, of characters. That's absolutely a huge change. So in Swift 2, string was a collection and then they changed it for Swift 3 to make it not a collection and now it's before that shouldn't get back to be a collection. So my understanding for that change in Swift 3 uh, was that they changed it to not be a collection because of performance concerns around treating a string like a collection of Unicode grapheme clusters, right? Right. But they don't really mention that here. And I got a little bit confused while I was reading this section. The only thing they mention, I think, about the cause, like about the rationale for that change in Swift 3, was that during Swift 2.0 development, 
we realized that correct string concatenation could occasionally merge distinct grapheme clusters at the start and end of combined strings. So what this means is that if you had um, a str like two strings and you're treating them as collections of these Unicode grapheme clusters, right. and you concatenate them, it would be possible in some cases that you'd end up with some new uh, unintended character in the middle where those two strings got concatenated. Right. So if you had like an emoji of a guy, an emoji of another guy, and then you merge them together with some kind of zero with joiner or whatever you need, you could end up with one character of like the two guys together. Right. Except what they, I think, land on in the manifesto here is that that's actually probably not something that we need to worry about very much because that almost should never happen. Right. If you have a string that ends yeah. with a zero with joiner, that's kind of a like weirdly broken string already, right? Right, right. So right. now, or a string that starts with like an acute sign that will get merged with an e to make an e acute. Like, why would a string start with an acute right. sign? And uh, they specifically call out um, uh, that class of error, um, or note that that class of error is called out in the Unicode standard specifically, and that that's not. Gotcha. So, so they've decided that that's not something that they're going to worry about, and this seems to be the only rationale they put into here that was a reason for that change in Swift 3. And um, I was curious why they didn't go into any of the sort of performance concerns that I had thought were the reason for that change. Well, and that's an interesting thing, too, because I feel like Swift string is a minefield of performance consideration, um, because depending on how you write your algorithms that work with strings, they can end up being accidentally quadratic. Mm -hmm. Um, Sam Giddens turned me out to this one. Shout out to Sam Giddens, friend of the show. Um, he was saying that like, because, because you don't know how long each character is going to be in terms of like its physical size and memory. Some of them might be, you know, eight bits, some of them might be 16 and so on. You can't, you can't do a random access collection. You can only do a regular collection. Um, so you can't just jump to a place in the middle of the string. So if you try to write, let's say, a comparison uh, between two strings for equality, if you try to compare, like, okay, check the zeroth character, then check the first characters, and then check the second characters, each time checking the, that the characters are equal, you will end up with a situation where if you ask for the fifth character, it will have to go through the first, second, third, fourth uh, characters just to get to the fifth one, and it'll have to do it again to get to mm -hmm. the sixth one, and so on. The better thing to do is like zip the characters together and then compare that equality um, sort of member-wise that way. Um, and so I think like since Swift is or Swift string and like string in general is kind of a minefield of performance anyway, maybe they just don't care. Well, so as you were saying that, I realized that they don't say that Swift, that string will become a by, a uh, random access collection anywhere. Mm -hmm. Right. It becomes a bidirectional collection, which I found weird. I thought it would probably be a regular collection before it would be a bidirectional collection. I mean, you can still walk forward and back in what linear time, right? Well, but you can't walk backwards because let's say you start with a character that's one byte. And then you want to go back one character. Yeah. You don't know how many bytes that character is going to be before you step there. Was it there. possible for it to just keep walking backward until you... I guess it's hard to tell where... Complete a character? Yeah, you wouldn't yeah. know. But they do talk about um, string being bidirectionally like, huh. iterable, I guess. Um, and I, I don't know why that is. That that stuck out to me as kind of odd. Yeah, that, that definitely is odd. 
I'm realizing that my yeah. understanding here, I, I was assuming that, that they were making it a random access collection, which, right, just doesn't make sense. Right, they can't do that. Uh, unless you made every character the same size in a given string, and then you have the problem of, you know, you're using 32 bytes when you only, or 32 bits when you only need right or whatever. Okay, well, that makes a little more sense. So they're fold, just folding that character's view back into string, basically. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. String is now the character view, yeah, pretty much. Which makes sense. I remember back uh, a few months ago, one of my friends was working on a Swift application. He's not a an iOS developer, really. Well, he is. He was writing an iOS app, but he has not been doing this very long. <laughs> and he wanted right. to take the last character off the end of a string in Swift 3. And uh, I had to go back and think, well, you're not going to like this answer. Yeah, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. Yeah. Although, now, does that uh, problem space get a little simpler in Swift 4? Uh, I don't have to explain why there's a character view now. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Uh, so, basically, the proposal in this is that for slicing up strings, that means taking a string and saying, I want these indexes in this range, um, that it would return a new type called substring. And string and substring would be related in the same way that um, array and array slice are related. And that relationship is? Uh, thanks for teeing it up for me. <laughs> um, basically, that uh, the, uh, the the substring in this case holds on to the original string and only maintains um, the start and end sort of pointers to, to what range that substring represents in the original string. Right. The reason for this is then you don't need to unnecessarily copy a string just to work with its substring. Right. So the idea here is that you have a string or let's say an array in memory and you want to work with some substring or some like part of this array, then rather than then remembering that like we have this range, this like start and end, right? And this this applies to this string, you just have a like substring which Right, which references the original string and has that range sort of baked in. Right, exactly. This is another nice example of uh, just sort of removing room for programmer error, right? Yeah, exactly. Although there is one gotcha with with doing it this way. And uh, that gotcha would be... (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for seeing that up again. So in, in this particular case, if you hold on to the substring, that substring will unhold on to the larger string. So if you have a situation where, let's say you have a very, very long original string, and you take a small, small piece of it, let's say, you know, five characters from 100,000, your five characters, quote-unquote, substring is going to also hold a reference to your 100,000 character superstring. And so to basically get around this problem, you have to know that this exists and basically convert it, convert your substring into a full-on string. Right. And then it will basically perform the copy at that time. Right. So when you take a substring and convert it back to a string, that copies that range from the original string. Exactly. And the original, yeah. potentially much larger string can be freed from memory. Right, exactly. There is a um, funny blog post or something uh, where somebody was doing this, this issue, exact same issue was happening in JavaScript, where the Chromium uh, V8 implementation of substrings for Node because uh, Node is basically based on Chrome's uh, JavaScript engine, uh, was maintaining a reference to the original string. And so they were basically keeping these things, these things around in memory long term. And like the server would crash because it would run out of memory because it was holding onto these huge strings. Right. So especially if you're yeah. parsing large JSON files or something, you should absolutely be aware of this. Now, 
Right. So I think that this is actually not going to be something that you have to worry about that often because pretty much all of your, like all the APIs that you write are going to traffic in string, right? Yes. And so you're really only going to encounter substring when you're in the middle of some string processing algorithm, right? The output is still going to be a proper string. Almost definitely, yeah. Or this is my sort of intuitive understanding here anyway. So yeah. I'm thinking that, I mean, similar to when, uh, like, similar to when you're dealing with array slices, which have the same, which have the same problem. And, uh, I think there's a warning in the documentation somewhere about this. But you, in practice, you don't, you probably don't end up having to worry about this that often. For memory links with substrings? Right, because you're almost never going to hold on to a substring long term. Yes, yeah. You're going to hold on to a string. I think it's basically more for, uh, like, it would be an inferred type rather than an explicitly declared type. Yeah, but as soon as you hit a, I mean, as soon as you hit, like, a function boundary... Yeah, exactly. You're going to have to write string explicitly. Well, you actually may not have to write string explicitly. This is a cool thing about this that I wanted to mention. You uh, may not have to write... Well, so you'd have to explicitly return a string, right? But um, this proposal or this manifesto also proposes that substring should be a subtype of string, just like int is a subtype of optional int. So you can pass a... uh, You can pass an int into... Wait... You can, re- yeah, you could pass an int where something expects an optional int, and you can like return an int where something respects, expects an optional int. Right. And so, in the same way, I think they're saying they're going to special case this. So that anything that expects a string, you can pass a substring, and it'll be magically converted back into a string. Yeah. I, I have a couple of thoughts on this. One, this, this definitely stuck out to me, too. If you want to find it in the document, you could command F for to ease the pain of type mismatches. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, I would, if the if the listener wants to follow along. Uh, oh no, I was just thinking that would make a great like Twitter bio <laughs> to ease the pain of type mismatches. That would be really good. Um, one, I would love them to, for them to formalize this and put this in the language so that I can use it for my own stuff. Is is one thing that I was thinking when I was reading this. And two, I was wondering, does this happen for array and array slice as well? That's a good question. I actually don't know whether it does. Right, like if it doesn't, it should, especially if it's going to happen for string and substring. Although they do mention just before this, it's likely that this would be a significantly bigger problem than it is with array and array slice, since slicing a string is very common, and I guess slicing an array is not as common. So maybe that's the justification, right? They maybe want to avoid special casing too many things. Yeah, it's definitely possible. Um, I just tested it does not work with, with um, well, actually, maybe I forgot to turn generic type. <laughs> I was, yeah, I don't think this, this works. Yeah. Cannot convert value of, of type array slice of string to type, to specify type array of string. So this doesn't work with arrays, but it might work with strings. Well, in Swift 4, it sounds like in it Swift will 4. probably work with strings. Um, right. I'd be now, in support of that. This is something that requires like special compiler support, right? Yes. And this is something that I know you've had feelings about before. Uh, do you want to, you want to cover that again? Yeah, for sure. So I wrote this blog post called the, My Least Favorite Thing About Swift, which is all about essentially special casing these things in the language and then not letting users take advantage of them, pretty much. Um, and this would be another example of that. I, uh, and it, it, it's, it's a weird case, too, because I think a language like Scala has this. And um, 
it, it basically users will add their own subtypes so that things get automatically converted and you can kind of specify a conversion function that just happens naturally. And so like you end up having with chains of these things, then it gets very complicated and hard to parse. So I can imagine this getting abused really badly. But you know, operator overloading and operator creation is also abused pretty badly and people do it and it's part of the language and it's fine. So like I think I would just be down with it. Um, I'll make sure to add a link to the show notes to the blog post, my least favorite thing about Swift. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that would be a cool addition if it could be exposed in language somehow. Yeah, and then that way, like, you would, if you had your own types, you could, um, you could like, take advantage of this yourself. Like, if you had... I'd have to think about some examples. But there's definitely a bunch of stuff where you might want um, things to just be able to kind of naturally promote themselves yeah. to other types. Yeah. And then the other benefit of it is the special casing gets to come out of the compiler. Right. And then all these cases of like subtyping are sort of handled by writing code within the language itself. Yeah, absolutely. Continuing the theme that yeah. much of what we call Swift is actually the Swift standard library. Yeah, exactly. So one other thing that I wanted to mention in this manifesto is that uh, they've given some thought to handling something that I think we've talked about on this podcast before, which is the awkwardness of dealing with an Objective-C API that deals with a string and a range. Have we t- We've talked about this before, right? I'm not sure if we have talked about this on the podcast, maybe in person. That's possible. So yeah. we have Objective-C APIs that take strings and ranges, right? And Well, they take NS ranges, right? Sure. Okay, so they take NS range and they take an NS string. The implication is that this range refers to some range of characters in that string. And it's really, really awkward to work with these APIs in Swift. Right, because they aren't the same indexes that you would expect to get from... the, 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 The range of indexes of Swift strings is different than the NS range that belongs to NS string. They're different, and so to bridge them over is like a huge pain in the butt. You mean they're different types, or the like numbers themselves are different? They literally represent different things. Yeah. Because NS ranges are just two integers, and in Swift, they're two string.indexes, and string.indexes are not exactly integers because of that like width mis- mismatch thing that I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. And so they're just not the same thing. And so to get to from one to the other, you have to like literally call like string.index, like start index advanced by this many things to get to the same equivalent of NS range. It's just a totally different ballgame. It's really, really awful. And so in this uh, manifesto, they propose adding some uh, interop magic so that those Objective-C APIs get represented or or get bridged into Swift as accepting just a a substring. Right. That would be really nice. Because a substring, like we just talked about, is basically a beginning and end index along with a reference to the string that it refers to, right? Right, which is pretty much an NS string, NS range pair. Right. Like, that's exactly... uh, Yeah. That's kind of that's kind of elegant and nice. I really do like yeah. that. So as someone who's worked with, say, NS regular expression in Swift, uh, <laughs> I re- and I'm pretty sure that it's correct. There's a lot of unit unit test coverage on that code. Um, yeah, but uh, I would very much welcome this change. I think this is part of the whole like we got to fix strings, and one of the things we got to fix is regular yeah. expressions. Now later yeah. in the, in this, uh, they do say addressing regular expressions is out of scope for this proposal, um, which is which a is shame. a shame. But I guess this is already an eighteen page document, and we can't expect them to cover everything. There are quite a few more things covered in this that we should talk about. One is they talk about like basically there are these operations on strings 
such as like, you know, find, uh, see if this regular expression matches, see if, um, like lowercase this thing, uh, compare this thing to this other thing. And each of those, like comparison in Swift is typically done with a less than or whatever operator, right? But with strings, you sometimes need to pass additional parameters. So um, you might need to compare it in a specific language. Um, you might need to compare it with a specific case sensitivity. Uh, you might need to, like, there, there are different options that you would need to pass to do this. So you can't just use the regular operators. So they propose kind of a structure around functions like that um, so that you can, like, compare something and then also provide uh, those options that you'll need. Right. And it's important to note that uh, while this is a start toward a like pattern matching system for strings that resolves a few, a few problems that um, are currently in Swift uh, in the Swift language. Um, this isn't really a detailed proposal about how that should be implemented. Yeah. Although they do link to a pattern matching prototype so written in swift in the swift repository which i haven't really had a chance to review in uh in any detail but we'll throw a link to this in the show notes too protocol pattern whoa right so i don't know exactly what this is but it seems like it's uh maybe sort of a proof of concept as to how this could one day look in the swift standard library right that's very interesting so that's something that may be interesting to take a look at if pattern matching strings is really your uh, something you're really interested in. Yeah, and this also just goes back to like if you're trying to pattern match, like this is very much about machines processing machine mm-hmm. strings, not about oh, you know, yeah. user facing user facing text. Yeah, yeah. One thing that I found interesting just toward the end of the document were a couple questions around description versus debug description. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the two questions that I thought were interesting, should these be creating localized or non-localized representations? Right. And the other one, is debug description pulling the weight of the API surface area that it adds? Yeah. So like, is it worth having debug description and description? You know, my feeling on this is honestly that Ruby gets this right. You just call 2S on anything and it just does something sensible. Um, Maybe it's not exactly what you want, but you can further process it later. Um, yeah. So my feeling is just like it should be called two string or whatever. Well, yeah, it should be called description so that it's a parallel with Objective C, right? Well, or something. And then debug description, I think you can add extra data, and it's like then it feels like like I feel like right now description almost isn't pulling its weight, and description almost acts as debug description, especially like when you code gen something or when you print the default. Mm-hmm of an object, it really looks more like a debug description than anything else. So maybe it's just that regular description isn't pulling its weight correctly. Yeah, this, I think this is kind of my feeling too. Like, description is weird because it's not like an object is going to know how to create a user-facing representation of itself. Right, right? exactly. Like, these are both programmer-facing. Even though, like, yes. like, description does get called if you try to interpolate this into a string, but like that's not user facing that's still basically programmer facing right yeah, um there are, well, there are cases yeah yeah and i guess i could see maybe if you're making some like cli tool or something right mm-hmm. right yeah i feel like description was basically mostly for um debugging anyway and so that's that's kind of where my hot take comes from yeah yeah uh should it be creating Whatever ends up in language, should it be creating localized or non-localized representations? For that one, 
I don't know. Because I don't know what that actually means. Like, does it mean if I have a specific string, it might be printed differently if I'm in a German locale versus in a Swahili locale? Yeah. That's weird. Yeah, especially if it's a debugging tool, I feel like it should be Right, that really answers that question. If it's for for debugging, just like always give me the same thing. Yeah. If it's for like actually printing for putting it on screen, then it it matters. Yeah. So a description is just not a good name for the two-string function in my mind. Yeah. What else did you find interesting in this uh, document? Um, The last thing that I found interesting was... Basically, they want string and substring, these two types that we talked about earlier, to be able to share a bunch of code. And so the Hmm. way that they want to do that is by making a Unicode type um, that is a protocol with a bunch of, like, you know, default implementations and stuff. And I feel like I don't really like that name Unicode, um, but otherwise I think it's basically a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I think the Unicode name is weird. I'm also, I'm trying to find this part of the document. Can I might call it like string base? Uh, maybe, although that's also a really bad name. Yeah. Yeah, this is a, I mean, I guess you have to share code between those types somehow. Right. And the other weird thing about it is that it has an associated type, which is its encoding. And with that, oh, actually, it's several associated types. I didn't notice these. And what huh. that means is that you won't be able to refer to Unicode objects directly. They only exist as a method to share code. Otherwise, you would need a um, type eraser. And they talk about, like, are we going to build a type eraser? And the answer is no, we're not going to. I mean, I feel like that's probably fine since you're going to use this protocol via either substring or string. And those aren't yeah. really those aren't necessarily interchangeable, right? They they exist for a reason, and you should know which one you're using. Right. I feel like... Yeah, but sometimes I just want to say, like, this is text rec- representable. And then, like, I want to be able to say, like, as you said at the top of the show, like, I want to be able to make a path, and then I want to be able to take that path and pass it to some system API that just expects some string. And maybe I want to bring my own path type. Maybe I want to bring like something else entirely. Maybe it's an SURL, but maybe it's like some other represented representable path. In that case, use a uh, well. I mean, using a string is bad to represent all these different things. But a little bit earlier in the document, uh, there's a small heading guidance for API designers, and it says if users unsure about which type to use, string is always a reasonable default. So, I mean. I don't know. It would be nice if you could use the Unicode protocol on its own, but I feel like that's probably not not worth being upset about. No, and it's not that I'm upset about it. It's just that like it's a it's a thing that I've always thought would be really nice to have, even from back in the Objective C days, which you kind of could do with class clusters, right? You could say like um, if you were working with paths, you would get an NS path store too, which is a special NS string subclass that behaves more efficiently for, for paths. Like, I kind of want that to be more formalized so that I can also bring my own and, like, it would all be great. But here, I feel like, you know, I was going to say that, like, you know, we could have this, but also we lost it in a sense. We had it for um, Objective-C and then we lost it. So, I don't know. It's not to say that, like, this is required. It's just to say I can imagine a lot of really useful cases where I would want to do this. A lot? We work with strings so much. Yeah, a lot. Like, imagine if your JSON type could just be also a string and when you pass it to the string api that's when it got converted for you automatically hmm. i mean that you know i guess there's issues there of like what if it doesn't convert that would throw an error what happens to the error etc but like i don't know like there are things we, we we traffic in strings so much that 
like I want to be able to 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 have different types that all act as strings. Yeah. Okay. I guess I could I I could kind of see that. But and that's kind of why Ruby's two S method is so good is because whatever you have, you just call two S on it and it basically works. Hmm. I think I kind of see what you're saying. I feel like that implicit um like implicit conversion between types that we talked about earlier would be maybe a more general approach to this though. Yeah, definitely. That's actually a great point. Like if we could have that, then then this would really solve that and problem. We don't need class clusters. Yeah. I mean class clusters were the solution they had at the time for this thing. Yeah. But you know. Yeah. Cool. This is a really super interesting manifesto. I'm interested to see what parts of this get implemented. You know, strap yourselves in. It's gonna be a wild ride. Me too. I hope all of it gets implemented, and I also hope we get regular expressions natively in Swift. And uh, I would also like a unicorn. And <laughs> <laughs> I would like a pony, and I would like... <laughs> <laughs> I'll feed it and take care of it. And it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been fun talking with you, Sarush, as always. <laughs> as always. Great. And this is a Patreon episode, so I just want to shout out to the Patreon people. Thank you so much uh, for supporting the show. We hit our first goal on Patreon, which is super big. Um, we may be maybe getting some new gear. We'll see how that all shakes out. Should be could be cool. But yes, thank you so much. Yeah, uh, your support really means a lot to us and is letting us put together this uh, podcast without dealing with uh, ads and sponsors and all that stuff. Uh, you are the sponsors, so thank you. Yeah, cool. Talk to you soon, Chris. Yeah, I'll see you later.